All right, let's get our Bibles out to Exodus 20 as uh, we look at the last of the commandments in our Ten Commandments series, uh, coveting versus contentment, coveting versus contentment. There have been a lot of things that we've been learning uh, through this summer series, probably uh, more impactful on my life than I thought it was going to be. I was thinking, you know, it's Ten Commandments. We've all pretty well got that figured out. And just as we have gotten into it, the Lord has been revealing some things in us and about us. Um, There's been a lot of growth, and it's been very encouraging to see. Well, this commandment about coveting is no less powerful or no less meaningful than the other nine. Uh, We started out by looking at um, who's on the throne. Um, No other gods. God is on the throne. And when do we put God on the throne? And and how do we do that in our lives? And and then we talked about idols and no idols. And what do those look like in our lives? We went on and we talked about uh, taking the name of the Lord in vain. And uh, how we need to be careful about and watch uh, carefully how we speak about our Lord We talked about a focus on the Lord's day, and that probably for me was the message that I had the biggest hashtag fail about as I considered my own life and how busy I get, and uh, that was the one Lord spoke to me about, and um, the Sabbath, I'm working at it, still not perfect at it, but much better, growing up, learning, tripping forward about the Sabbath. Uh, Then we looked about, uh, learned about honoring your parents and no murder and no adultery, not in your heart, as well as not in deed. Talked about stealing and lying. And so today we come to the topic of covetousness. And when was the last time you saw someone called out about covetousness in the church? If someone is blatantly not putting the Lord first, we would sit down and talk to them. If they've got these idols in their lives, we would sit down and talk to them. If they're not uh, worshiping the right way in the sense of giving a day, we would sit down and we would talk about that. If they aren't honoring their parents or if they murder, somebody's going to deal with them. Um, If they are uh, caught in adultery or stealing or lying, uh, you get called out for those things. But covetousness, because it's a matter of the heart and mostly a matter of attitude, which ends up displaying itself on the outside, often it gets left out. It's really idolatry. We're going to see that as we get into the text. And, but it's hidden and it's so often not seen. And, and so today we're all getting called out on this. What does God have to say to us about uh, this commandment and maybe our failure in it? It says, you shall not you shall not covet. So you got your Bibles open now. Let's stand. We want to honor God as we read his, his word. Uh, follow along as I start in verse 1. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I am the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. 
Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servants or his female servants or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sounds of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and they trembled and they stood afar off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen. Do not let God speak to us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. Let's pray. Father, we bow in your presence with thanksgiving for the privilege and opportunity to come and worship together, to lift high the name of Jesus Christ, to rejoice in who you are and all that you have done for us. We are thankful for the privilege to hold your word in our hands. And Father, this amazing passage that we've explored throughout the summer, as it, it comes to its end here, Father, we look at this message of coveting Father, what do you need to reveal to us today? Each one, each follower of Jesus Christ, where, where have we fallen short in this or where are we falling short? Where are we taking the glory that belongs to you and stealing it for ourselves? Or where, Father, are we not satisfied in who you are and what you've accomplished for us? And so Lord, do a work in our hearts today. Father, give us ears to listen to your word, minds to understand it. And then God, as you reveal what we need to hear to us today, give us a heart and a passion to live out for the fame of the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. We pray in his name. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. Well, let's dive right in. Coveting, defined and understood. Uh, so what is it? The definition of coveting is an obsessive desire, a craving, a panting after generally in an improper way. It's a obsessive desire, a craving, a panting after, and generally it's in an improper way. It's a matter of the heart. It's often rooted in our attitude, but it traps us into greater sins that eventually make their way out in us. Often it's a, a sin that as it grows in our attitude and grows in our heart, kind of flies under the radar. And many times there aren't people who see it. Eventually they do, but it doesn't start on the external. It starts as a matter of your heart. What's the opposite of coveting? The opposite would be a desire to help others and looking outward and being generous and people who are giving, protecting the blessings that are from God and understanding who he is and, and what he has done for us. The focus of the 10th commandment is that we are not to illicitly desire anything that belongs to another. Uh, so let's get a little bit of the context. We're big about that around here. Context, context, context. So is it ever wrong 
to covet? That's the wrong question. Is it ever right to covet? Is it ever right to covet? Yes, it is. There are many times where it's right to covet after some things. Um, it's talking about a passion, an obsessive desire. So what's it okay to be obsessive about? Well, Jesus was obsessive. He was obsessive and he desired, the Bible says, to eat the Passover with his disciples. It's the same word. He was going after it. He was passionate about it. He wasn't letting anything get in the way of it. Paul desired, coveted, to know Christ, to know him intimately. And he coveted that his followers would do the same. In the book of Corinthians, Paul wrote that we should covet the better spiritual gifts. And so there are times in our lives where coveting is a good thing and it's a right thing. Um, you used to hear people say this statement. You don't hear it much anymore, but you say, I covet your prayers. I covet your prayers. You know what? That's okay. If you're going through a thing and you're wrestling with something and, and you're just asking someone to have the passion and care about this thing and I need your prayers, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with coveting fellowship, considering how we can spur each other on to love and good deeds and the importance of getting together. Uh, the Christian life was never meant to be lived out on our alone, but rather to be lived in community. And so to covet those opportunities, oh, that would be a great thing. To covet your time in the word and covet your time in prayer and covet your time in growth. Those are great things. And there is a time and there is a place for coveting. And when you're coveting those things, go ahead. When it's vertical, when it's going for the glory of God, coveting is a great thing. But that's not what this text is about. And that's not what we think about coveting most of the time in our lives. And so we want to make sure we get into what the writer was talking about when he said, you shall not covet. In the passage, it gives five categories of coveting. He says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. A wrong, obsessive, craving, panting after. What were the five things? Here's the first thing. Don't covet your neighbor's house. Don't covet your neighbor's house. Uh, you live in a, a townhouse and, and uh, your friend who you work with or go to church with or whatever, uh, they now um, have bought a house. And you have a one-car garage that's filled with all of your junk. And, and you're looking at his house because he has now got a two-car garage. And, and he has more rooms in his house. And you just find yourself all of the time wishing I could have that. Why can't I have that? And you covet, you covet his house because it's bigger. It's bigger. And you want bigger. And it consumes you. You covet his house because it's better. It's better. He's got hardwood floors all the way through his house. Um, they don't have that cheap rug they put in when they built the house. Like he's upgraded. He's got a new roof on his house. He's got new windows now in his house. He has, he has, he has, he has. And you want what he or she has because what they have is bigger and it's better. Or maybe you want what he has or she has because it's bought. Paid for doesn't start with B, so I had to use the word bought. So um, his is bigger, 
His is better. His is bought. Here I am making this mortgage payment every week and, or every two weeks or, or once a month. And it seems like the interest is eating it all up and you've forgotten about God's provision of all of that. And man, if I didn't have to make this mortgage payment, if I didn't have to make this mortgage payment, what I could do. And you covet. And the writer said, don't covet your neighbor's house because it's bigger or it's better or it's bought. Then he goes on and he says, don't covet your neighbor's wife. We already dealt with this. It could be and or husband. As we looked at, you shall not commit adultery. Um, that could be coveting. I want what's not mine. David saw and he wanted and he took with Bathsheba. And, but Jesus raised the bar to even the way we think about these things. Don't covet your neighbor's wife or husband sexually. It's evil and it's sinful and it's wrong. But that's not the only way you could covet your neighbor's wife or husband. You might covet them because of the way they look and, and you're thinking, boy, I wish my wife had hair like her hair or I wish my wife could dress like she dresses or wives, you're sitting there and you're thinking, I wish my husband had hair. <laughs> Don't covet not sexually, not the way they look, not what they can do. Man, if my husband could just pick up a stinking screwdriver and fix something, we wouldn't have to pay for it all the time. And I wouldn't have to. And you start to think about, yeah, but, but my friend Jimmy, he can do all of that stuff. I wish my wife, I wish my wife could just, when I buy a pair of pants and they're too long, she could just mend them so we don't have to send them out. I wish she could not offer me a burnt offering every night at dinner. Because Jimmy's wife, she can cook. That girl can cook. All right, I'm getting myself in trouble. Don't covet your neighbor's house. Don't covet your neighbor's spouse. Don't covet your neighbor's servants. Sometimes God has blessed people and they could have a nanny or they could have a housekeeper that comes in a couple times a week or, or somebody comes and cuts their grass and, and you're like, why, why can't I have that stuff? And you spend all of your time complaining about why you have to do all of those things and you don't have anybody who comes in and helps you or, or you're looking at your, your business, uh, in your business field and you're looking at the other guy, he's got so many employees and I don't have those employees and, and you find yourself obsessed with it all of the time. Don't covet your neighbor's wife or his house or his servants, his male or female servants. Don't covet his ox or his donkey. Check. I have not coveted my neighbor's ox or donkey once this week. I just want you to know. Okay, so when he's saying that, what does he really mean? It's the tools of the trade the things you use to get the work done. Maybe we would say it uh, more like this. Don't covet his deer or his ram, his John Deere or his Dodge Ram. <laughs> and you look at your neighbor and he's got this riding mower and he gets to just sit on his lawnmower and ride around and he's got power trimmers and a blower and, and it's all the same color and it all hangs so nicely in his little shed and why can't I have that? 
He drives home in his brand new truck and, and yours, you're not sure it's going to start in the morning. Why can't I have that? And you find yourself consumed about the things that your neighbor has. Don't covet his house or his wife or his servants or his ox or his donkey. And if he didn't, if he missed anything, he says, or anything that is your neighbor's. Not his wealth, not his car, not his boat, not his cottage, not his pool, not his hot tub, not his iPhone, not his iPad. You shall not, you shall not covet. In 1 Timothy 6, 6 8, it says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Hear that? Godliness with contentment is great gain gain. For we brought nothing into the world. We cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Wow. If we have food and clothing, we will be content. If that's true, why are you so not content? Why do you want so much more? Is it wrong to have things? It's not wrong to have things. God blesses people. There are lots of rich people in scripture. It's not, can you have things? Do things have you? And, and are you satisfied with the things that you have that God has given you and blessed you with? If we have food and clothing, with this we will be content. What's the impact of coveting? First of all, there's the impact in your relationship with God. When we covet... When we say, I want more, I have a craving, I'm panting after in an improper, obsessive way, and be careful not to give yourself a pass on that too easily, it impacts your relationship with God. Because it says, God, I can't trust you. You're not enough. Obviously, God, you're not providing what I really need, and therefore I'm going after what I want Covening impacts your relationship with God. It comes to the point where your relationship with him and the word is broken and, and your fellowship with him is broken and it seems so dry and so painful and it's because you put yourself on the throne. You've allowed the things you want to become the idols and you're not satisfied in who God is and what he has made for you. You cannot serve two masters, the Bible says. In 1 John 2, 15 to 17, it says, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. It impacts our relationship with God. It impacts our relationship within ourselves. In James 1.14, it says, but each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own passions and his own desires. When we go after the things we want, what are some of the uh, results of that? Well, um, it makes you bitter. When you're a covetous person and you're never satisfied, you become bitter. You become discontent. You start to compromise. You have misplaced priorities. So not only does it affect your relationship with God, it affects who you are in, in yourself 
And there's a lot of pain that comes on us because we're never fulfilled. We're never satisfied. It affects others. Covetous people have a lack of generosity because they never have enough. They still think God owes them something or the world owes them something and they don't have a generous spirit. They don't have compassion for people. Why, why should I have compassion for you? I don't have the things I want either. A lack of sympathy when people are in need. It affects our relationship with God. It affects our relationship with ourself. It affects our relationship with other people. And hey, here's some tests. Here's some tests. You can ask yourself this question about whatever the Lord's already put on your heart today. Probably you're in the room, you're thinking about, boy, you know, I wish he wouldn't talk about that because this is the thing. This is it. So do you find yourself doing this? Do you find yourself comparing all the time? Do you find yourself comparing to other people? Uh, how, come, how come my coworker gets to have that? Or how come that family in the church gets to have that? You're always comparing yourself to other people. You're always wanting. You're always wanting. Boy, I just want that. And I just want this next thing. And I just want this next thing. And I just want this next thing. Hey, don't get me wrong. It's not bad to try and grow yourself up and improve and learn and move forward in life. But if it becomes the thing, it, you're obsessive about it. You're panting at, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. That's how we're supposed to come after these things. But most of us, we get caught up in this, the deer panting for the water about, I want what that guy has. I want what she has. You're always wanting. You're always dreaming. You're always sitting there thinking, oh, what would I do if I won the lotto? Well, I'd give 10% to the church for sure. But what, do you always find yourself thinking that kind of stuff? You find yourself complaining all the time? Everybody has stuff. I don't have stuff. You just complain. Wah, wah, wah. Never satisfied. Always formulating schemes. Thinking, if I could just get that, then I would be happy. You are a covetous person. Well, the flip side of covetousness or covetousness or the opposite of it is contentment. That's the opposite. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. That's what Paul said. I was reading a statistic this week that said the latest global statistics show that if one has a roof over his head and a meal on his table, he is richer than 93% of the people in the world. If you have a roof, a permanent roof over your head and you're eating your meals... You're better off than 93% of the people in the world. Another statistic said, if you have shoes on your feet, you're better off than 75% of the people in the world. Are you content? Are you content? The Holman's Bible Dictionary says that contentment is an internal satisfaction which does not demand change in external circumstances. Contentment is the internal satisfaction which does not demand change in the external circumstances. Now turn over in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. 
love hearing pages turn in Bibles when people are looking to see what God's word says. Hebrews 13, verse five. Keep your life free, some translations say from covetousness. Same thing here. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Keep yourself free from the love of money. Keep yourself free from covetousness and be content with what you have. In North America, we have so much. But we don't have contentment. We keep pouring it on and pouring it on and pouring it on thinking that if I get to this level, then I'll be content. If I get to this level, then I'll be content. It's like when Rockefeller was asked, how much money is enough? He said, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. He might have been saying that tongue in cheek. I don't know the context in which he was saying it. But if I could just have a little bit more, then I would be satisfied. He didn't come up with that on his own. There's a Bible principle that says exactly the same thing. Um, in Ecclesiastes, it talks about that. Ecclesiastes chapter five says, uh, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. Contentment. Contentment is the internal satisfaction which doesn't demand change in our external circumstances. So to make it really practical for us, let's look at it this way. Contentment is satisfaction in four things. If you get these four things right, you'll be content. Covetousness will not be a big struggle for you. We're always gonna struggle with it a little bit on this earth. We will wrestle with it because it's based in sin and the liar always tells us the lies. But um, here's four things. The four things, first of all, is whose you are. If you want to be content, you have to know whose you are. The Bible says, I was bought with a price. If you want to be content, you have to be thankful for who Jesus Christ is in you and what he has done for you and the relationship you have as a son or a child of God because Jesus Christ came, he paid the price, you didn't deserve it, you didn't earn it, he died so you could have life and you could have it abundantly, you couldn't work for it. He gave it to you as a gift and all you could do is believe but we come to faith in Jesus Christ and now we are called the sons of God. And we don't yet know what that will totally look like. But we look forward to all that we have because of whose we are. And so the question for all of us in the room today is, who do you belong to? Do you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? Because that is the foundation of contentment. When I understand whose I am, I belong to the King. I belong to the Lord. He's my Father. Help me, God, to be content. 2 Corinthians 12.10 says, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content. Because of all that Christ has done for me, all that Christ has accomplished for me, I am content. I'm content with weakness. I'm content with insults. 
I'm content with hardships. I'm content with persecutions. I'm content with calamities. Are you kidding? We live in North America. We're not content with anything. And he says, but because of Jesus Christ, even in the midst of my weaknesses and the insults and the hardships and the persecutions and the calamities, because of whose I am, I will be content. Contentment is satisfaction in four things. Whose you are. Second one is who you are. Who you are. I made a list of things from scripture and then uh, narrowed it down to uh, just a few. But uh, think about some of these things. Who you are. I'm a child of God. I'm Christ's friend. I am redeemed. And I'm forgiven. I have been justified the moment I trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. A, a legal transaction happened and all of my sin was put on Jesus Christ and all of his righteousness was put on me. I was made just as if I'd never sinned. That's who I am. I'm one who is justified. I'm one who was bought with a price. God loved me enough to send his son, Jesus Christ. I am bought with a price. I belong to God. I am free from condemnation. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm a saint. I'm a saint. Sainthood is not brought down from the upper echelons in any religious order down to the people. Sainthood is put onto us in Jesus Christ alone. When you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you became a saint. You don't have to do some miracles and be able to walk on water. You need to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm a saint. I've been adopted as God's child. I have access to God through his Holy Spirit. I cannot be separated from the love of God. I'm a citizen of heaven. I am his workmanship as he is working in me. I can do all things through Christ who is my strength. If you want to have contentment, you have to understand whose you are and who you are in Jesus Christ. If you want to be content, you have to have satisfaction in what you have. As I said, Solomon said, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. Are you satisfied with what you have? Really? Is that what your conversations this week would demonstrate? Is that what your thoughts would demonstrate? Would that be what you wrote down in your journal? Would those things demonstrate that I am satisfied, I am content in what God has given me? I'm content with my possessions and the provisions. I'm content with my paycheck. Or are you always dreaming and scheming and wanting and on the edge and unsatisfied? If you want to be content, you've got to be content because of whose you are, who you are, what you have, and, and where you're going. Contentment comes when we understand where we're going. See, covetousness says, listen, covetousness says, I'm living for today. Covetousness says, it's all about the right here and the right now. But we're not living for the right here and the right now. We don't cherish the thought of eternity. 
We don't cherish the thought that one day we're going to go to heaven. Uh, someone came and talked to me last week about that, gave me a book, and uh, I've come to the conclusion I'm doing a series on heaven. I don't know when. It's not in the plan right now, but it's going to be in the plan because we talk about it all the time. We talk about we don't live for this world. We live for what's coming. We have fallen in love with this world. We, even as believers, we've fallen in love with this world. Even the beautiful things. I'm not talking about sin. I'm just talking about the way that God made the world. We look around us and we see it. Uh, Sue and I are heading up to Muskoka this week and we're going to go and see it and we're going to go, that's amazing what God did. Look at his awesome work. And we've fallen in love with this world. And yet in John chapter 14, there's a great text that Jesus says, I'm going to go prepare something better for you. You, you think this is cool? What's coming is going to be way better than that. John 14 says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to, excuse me, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Okay, wait a minute. So God created the earth and made it six days, beautiful, amazing, what he did. And now he's going to prepare something even better for us. And we find ourselves coveting. What's going to be coming is so much better. It's going to blow what we have away. And yet we're caught up in the world and today and I saw an illustration uh, this week that uh, really um, challenged my heart. Um, it was a picture like this. this. This part of this rope, you notice this is a very long rope? It goes a long way. It goes on and on and on and on and on. Um, this part of the rope is my life. And it's your life. The first little yellow part of this rope, this is when we're kids and when we're growing up and when we're living at home and all that. And then this red part, that's where most of us in the room are right now. We're out of the house or we're moving out of the house and our education is done and, and we're working on things and we're living and we're trying to save and put money away and we're making all of our plans and doing all of our stuff and all of that, all of that because we want this time to be really sweet in our lives. Because we want to get to here and we want there to be enough until I die. But we want it to be really good until I die. And so we're coveting all these things and we're wanting all these things. Why? Because we're living for this. When God says it's not about this, it's about this. It's about eternity. It's about all of the rest of it that goes on and on and on and on in our lives. And yet we find ourselves living for this. That's why we're not satisfied. That's why I always want more. That's why what I have is not enough because I'm living for this instead of living for all of this that God has for those who are called his children. What do you find yourself living for? What do you find yourself wanting? What do you find yourself obsessing about? God's like, for the followers of Jesus Christ, all of this is coming for us. All of this is before us. All of it. And you're obsessing about this. You shall not covet. You shall not covet. 
Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's time to kill covetousness. That's what the Bible tells us to do. We need to kill this thing. In Ephesians chapter, or excuse me, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, it says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness saying, God, I'm on the throne, not you. Covetousness saying, God, what you've offered to me is not enough. Covetousness says, I want what I want. And Paul wrote in Colossians and he says, put it to death. We need to kill it. We need to kill it. Will we ever do that perfectly on this side of heaven? Probably not. But we can do a lot better than we're doing. We can get a right focus on the things. We can get, stop obsessing and, and dreaming and passionately going after things that aren't ours to have. Your neighbor's house and your neighbor's wife and your neighbor's servants, and your neighbor's tools, and all that are your neighbor's. They're not yours, and they're not yours to have. Why do we keep wanting the things that aren't ours to have? Because we're not satisfied in Jesus Christ. And put that to death. It's time to put that to death. Well, let me give you some really practical ways that we can do that. Here's the first way you do it, is by changing your mind about these things. It's called repentance, changing your mind. It's moving in a different direction. It, it starts for us, really, when you've trusted the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're sitting here today and you're feeling guilty even about covetousness in your life and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you're never going to get this solved until you get that taken care of, until you know him, to know him as life eternal. He's the reason that you set all the other stuff aside. But for followers of Jesus Christ, we're called to think differently about these things. We need to hate sin. And most of us get caught up in, the, oh, yeah, yeah, repentance is that old. I'm just going this way, and, and now I need to go this way. I'm not supposed to want my neighbor's wife or his house or his service. Oh, I'm not supposed to want that. And, but then we find ourselves going back to it and find ourselves going back to it. Why? Because we never change our mind about it. We never come to the place of understanding like, like God understands us. We never choose to hate that sin. You have to change your mind. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's where the battle is, a changed mind. You want to kill this? You have to have a right view of God. God is your provider. God is your sustainer. God is the wise one. God is the one who keeps his promises. God is the holy one. And I keep becoming God by the things I think I should have and the things that I want. I've got to change my mind. I've got to have a right view of God. I've got to trust his ability to provide. See, we become covetousness because we decide, well, I'll be the great provider. And yet God will provide. He promises he will. I've got to give up myself on the throne because he must increase and I must decrease. We have to kill this thing called covetousness. 
I have to resist the lies that the liar tells me. Satan says, well, you deserve it. You deserve it. You went through this in your life. You deserve to get this. You, you've worked hard. You deserve it. You deserve it. You deserve it. Lies. When they take our eyes off of who's on the throne and we end up on the throne, you know that Satan opened his mouth and he lied to you. We have to resist the liar. Stop listening to the lies. There's discipline involved in this. We have to choose to be content. Whatever state you find, I choose to be content. That's what Paul said in Philippians 4. I choose, I choose to be content. Really, he's under house arrest when that was going on. And he's like, I choose to be content. From time to time, the support didn't come in that he needed, so he had to go out and make tents along the way. He could have gone, well, how come? I, here I am. I, like, Jesus told me to do this job, and the people aren't even supporting me enough, and I choose to be content. But I thought by now I would have my own house. I choose to be content. God will be glorified when you choose contentment. Except that what you have is from the Lord. Now, if you're a lazy bum and you're doing nothing, there's a whole different problem that you have to deal with. If you're sitting in home, not trying to get a job and all the rest, I'm just going to be content, I'm just going to be content. There's different Bible verses for you today. But I need to learn to accept what's from the Lord. And there can be pruning and there can be growth that's going on. There can be challenge in my walk as God is working, growing us up in Jesus Christ. I accept what I have from the Lord. And then sometimes we have to just sit still and wait for the Lord. Just wait for God. Let him provide. Let him do his work in his way for his glory. Well, so what? So what? Luke 12, 15, Jesus said to them, take care. Take care. So it's like, sit up straight. Take care. Be on your guard. Take care. Sit up straight. Be on your guard against all covetousness. All of it. Jesus presented a pretty strong warning. Take care. Be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life, you ready? One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. See, that's the lie that the world tells us. It's all about what you can get. It's all about what you can have. It's all about what you, because the world is all and only about this. We're not about this. We're about how this leads to all of this in Jesus Christ. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Well, what's the revelation? Pretty clear. Don't covet. Stop it. The things that you're passionately obsessed about, you're craving after, you're panting after, that's the revelation. You shall not covet. So what is the confrontation? Well, it's in your heart right now. What's the confrontation you felt today? You're in this room. You're in this place. You're sitting before the Lord. We worship an audience of one. You're not here to worship me or to, you're here before the Lord. So, so the question is, what are you panting after? The instruction is to stop and get a new sight line on contentment and satisfaction and thankfulness for what God has done and then for all that he is offering to those who are his children. 
What's the transformation? See, as the Exodus uh, passage was written, the law really brought the people to understand all about their sinfulness and how far they had fallen short. And, and they had all the law and they had all the things which would cover their sin but couldn't take away their sin. And, but we don't live under that. We live under grace. We live under what's been accomplished for us, what Jesus Christ has done. And, and so when we come to this text and we find ourselves in covenants, we just come before the Lord and get right with him and make it right and make some decisions, make some choices and choose the way that we will live so that God would get the glory. Living beyond the little yellow part and living for eternity. So the question is, who's on the throne? Who's on your throne today? And what are you going after? You shall not covet because your God will supply all of your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus to take us from here through here and then on for eternity for the fame of the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. It is so practical and so down to earth. We live in a society in North America where we have, we have it all. And yet we are in some ways the most covetous and least content people that there are in the world. And we've got caught up in the lie. Father, if you have food and, and shelter, we should be thankful and and we should rejoice and we should be satisfied. So Lord, the thing that you've placed in every heart in this room this morning, would you give us a heart to deal with it? We talked in the opening prayer that you would give us ears to hear and minds to understand, but then Lord, hearts, hearts to live out, not for our fame, but for your fame and for the glory of Jesus Christ the Lord. We pray these things because of his finished work, because of our salvation, because the hope that we have in our Savior. We pray them in his name. Amen.